If you're ready to learn how technology is driving business innovation in Cincinnati and beyond, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Join us for interviews and discussions with business leaders, innovators, and visionaries. With our host, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software. This is Unstoppable Talk. All right, welcome to the second episode of Unstoppable Talk, a podcast focusing on the intersection of business and technology. I'm here with Russell Smith from Covenant First Presbyterian Church. Russell, you have been the head pastor at Covenant First Presbyterian since 2001. So maybe a good place to start here is tell me about a little bit about yourself and, and how you arrived at the church there and, and sort of what you do there as, as pastor. Wow. So uh, you're basically asking for my whole life story. Excellent. <laughs> the, the, the condensed version yes. was that uh, you know, I came here in 2001 straight out of school. This was my first gig out of seminaries. Before that, I was working at—before graduate school, I was working as a technical trainer for Wachovia Bank. Back when there was a Wachovia Bank, they no longer exist. They've been absorbed by Wells Fargo. But I was a technical trainer and back in the day, and— uh, you know, without getting too terribly mystical, call of God and all that kind of stuff, wound up going off to graduate school. And as Tammy, my wife, and I were exploring opportunities afterwards, we just really felt this urgency for this particular church. It's an old congregation, as as you said. It's uh, I think you said it goes back to 1790. Mm-hmm. Big, big, beautiful old building, small little group group of people. Uh, committed to a traditional style of worship, which has its challenges today. We might talk about that later. And 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 right smack in the center of Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, we're a block right from City Hall. Piat Park. Yeah. Is that how you say that? Piat. Piat Park. Yeah, Piat right. Park. Uh, and so we are just right there in the in the heart of it all. And when we came in 2001, downtown Cincinnati was a ghost town. You know, all the development that we've seen in Cincinnati since then, that came much, much later. And, and so it was a big, big risk. And I tend to be a risk-averse guy. So this was, this was pushing me to, hmm. to do something way out of my comfort zone. Cool, yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting. I looked up a couple facts on the church. So it was founded in 1790. The church was built in 1875 out of hand-cut stone from a local quarry. Yes. It says, and, uh, and then it has a bell up in the, in the bell tower that is stamped by, from uh, Revere Bellworks. Yes. So, so the legend so. is that Lyman Beecher, who was the father of Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, Lyman Beecher came to Cincinnati to be pastor of... Our church, there's a long, complicated history that perhaps on another time we could dig into that, but basically he came to be pastor of our church. And the legend is he brought with him this bell from Boston, because he had come from New England, Revere, Boston. So it's one of the few remaining Revere bells that that exist. As a matter of fact, we just had played host to uh, one of the people from Verdon Bell, company oh, yeah. here in Cincinnati. They they came and wanted to do some research on that because he's writing an academic paper on the Revere Bells. So I think it's yeah. you know, it's, a, it's a cool little piece of history. Well, it's interesting. My my family is actually related to that family, the Verdon or Verdon or whatever. I'm not sure how they say it, but Bell Company because yeah. my mom's maiden name was Verdon. Oh, cool. And, uh, from, and I think they all, we're not sure, but I think they sort of all came out of Verdun, France, right? And it's all yeah. been changed and misspelled, but distant cousins somehow. So I always think that's kind of neat. 
Um, so, you know, so the, the organization is 229 years old. And, uh, and, you know, one of these organizations is just really in the heart of the city and has been there forever. Um, and I should say, too, uh, how we met, which is through the Rotary Club of Cincinnati that we're both members in. And we've talked a lot about if you look at the, your, the church as an organization, what types of things uh, you challenges you face from a marketing perspective. And we've talked a lot about what kind of innovative things. And, I, and I've worked on a few things with, with you around some of, this, uh, some of those ideas. And so the reason I wanted to have you on our podcast here is to discuss some of the things you're doing, innovating with an organization like that that has such deep, deep roots uh, innovating using technology, which has largely focused on some of the stuff you've been doing. Uh, most of our conversation has been around what you've been doing on Facebook Live recently. So I guess, can you tell me a little bit about, and this this group you have on Facebook is the Night Owl Study, which mm-hmm. you've been doing for probably well, a few months now, I believe. Oh, gosh. We're probably up to about 35 weeks. Yeah. 30, okay. So yeah, quite some time. And so Maybe talk a little bit about some of the programs you all have there that were sort of the real-world programs that you then looked at and said, okay, I wanted to start doing something online. And, and sort of what was the genesis of, of wanting to start doing a live Facebook broadcast for, for that? Sure. So uh, one of the things for your audience to to realize, we are a small church. You know, there's There's lots of churches that have big budgets and can throw tons of money and do really, really slick stuff. That's not us. We're a very small church, tend tend to skew towards the older population. So a lot of folks that may not be uh, using technology an awful lot. So what this means is that we have no budget for technological outreach and not really much of a team of people to do it. So Pretty much, it's if it's going to happen, I've got to do it. I, mm-hmm. There, there are a couple of people that that you know from time to time have some vision and and do some stuff and help us, you know, get our network, you know, and our internal networks going so that our staff people can have computers and that kind of stuff. And that's been very, very helpful. Sure. And we have some people that help out with the sound system. That's very, very helpful. But in terms of outreach, it's pretty much been in in my the ball's been in my court to figure out, okay, how do we move forward? And so, uh, you know, you mentioned the Night Owl Study, and and what we're doing with the Night Owl Study is a Bible study live on Facebook. It's at 10.30 at night on Wednesday nights, and each week we do a 30-minute Bible study, and, and we're focusing on the Psalms, and each week we do a different Psalm, and we we go live, people log on, I teach for a little bit, interact with the comments, and you know, I invite people to make comments, observations along the way, and then we t- spend some time interacting with those and, and going back and forth with those and teach a little bit more, interact some more with the comments, and usually that takes about half an hour, and, hmm. and, and you know, and, and and then it's available on Facebook Live so other people can watch later. And then the other piece we do is we take that video and then archive it on YouTube as well so that anyone who's not on Facebook can easily get to it. Uh, so so that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, the, I think you asked where the genesis of this idea was, what, yeah. what, what happened, uh, how did this come about. And I've seen a number of my colleagues do small things on Facebook. Like I'd heard about one colleague that would do little short 
two minute teaser promotions of video teaser promotions that they would put on Facebook to tease the coming Sunday sermon. Mm. And I tried that for a while. That was kind of fun, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I've seen other churches that will take the video of the Sunday sermon yeah. and just broadcast that directly. What I wanted to do, I've, I've seen a number of other, you know, outside the religious realm, just watching on, on YouTube and other places, you know, a lot of, thought leaders in, in many different realms, be they motivational speaker types, be they personal coaches, uh, they will adopt a format of direct address. Yeah. You know, they'll film a video, direct address to the audience. And that, to me, felt like a very hot, warm medium. It felt you know, very personal, felt intimate, uh, and was very attractive. You know, it was the kind of thing that really draws one in, um, you know, a guy who does this really, w- really well, Brendan Burchard, mm-hmm. um, his, his stuff is, is inviting, engaging, direct address. He's talking right to you. It's like, you know, that's the kind of thing that I would love to do. Not just a commercial, not a videotape, me talking to a big audience, but to do a direct address. And so the best opportunity was, yeah, let's do a Bible study. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, as I was thinking about all of these things, it's kind of a convergence of, of two different things. I also was rethinking our strategy for outreach in downtown. For a very, very long time, we had had a Wednesday worship service at noon uh, every week, and that was a outreach to downtown workers and folks. That became no longer economically viable. Okay. Because you know you just have to you have to pay for an organist. We had offered lunch afterwards. You had to have coordinate a whole team of volunteers to make that lunch, and you had to print up all these bulletins and all this stuff. And so we put that to rest. But I still felt very strongly that we needed something in the middle of the week for people who are downtown, uh, you know, to have some kind of spiritual nourishment. Yeah, and so. It became very easy for us to, okay, we couldn't put on a full worship service, but I can do a Bible study. And we can, uh, how hard is it to cook up a pot of soup and you can, Hmm. you have a light lunch and come to Bible study. So thus was born the brown bag Bible study. Okay. So I'm having these two ideas at the same time. And it seems to me all branded with their own, all branded with their own thing. And and, and, and so. The two ideas were happening at the same time, and it's like, aha, this is a perfect synergy. I'm doing the preparation work, uh, and and why not just use it for two different things? Yeah. So I'll prepare like on that. the psalms. So both psal- both studies, the purpose of them is learning to pray in the school of the psalms. Yeah. And so at 12 o'clock noon on Wednesdays, we meet and we have an in-person discussion, and it's lively, let me tell you. I mean, hmm. the these folks come and it's it is fascinating to see the insights the observations and and just the diverse collection of people that show up mm-hmm. but then at 10:30 at night I will take that same material and I will teach on the night I will study on Facebook yeah. live yeah. and and that's been really interesting that too can get very lively and people yeah. making observations and comments well, and I think, you know, and it's very high. So I think the show is very high quality content, too, because you go so deep into it and have just such a breadth and wealth of knowledge about the songs, which is, 
you know, from an academic standpoint, all is very interesting, right? But I, I like that it has, you have this mission as well to get through all the Psalms, which I think there are how many? 150. Yeah. So we're going to be at this for a few years. Yeah. But and you're and you've done how many of them so far? You said thirty. Thirty three as of today. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool to have that mission as well, and and um, you know, and I think you were talking a little bit about sort of the engagement aspect of it, and uh, you know, I was thinking, and it's interesting to see if you if you listen to a podcast. I related a bit to say working with people on a team remotely. If you've never met someone and you're just talking to them all over the telephone, that's one thing. Um, if you do a Skype video call with them, there's a, you're a little closer. But I often find that, you know, if I've met somebody in person, too, then that's the ultimate. I don't have to see them every day, but I've just met them once. And so that's what's kind of neat, too, about, you know, uh, just video video in general, but particularly the, sort of the live format is, you know, we, we humans being social creatures, uh, we see a face, we hear a voice, we feel like we know that person. A voice alone and, and, I, and I kind of see this even if you listen to NPR and stuff. If you don't know what that person looks like, right, you create an image in your head later. And then when you see a picture, you're like, well, that's not them, is it? Like, that doesn't look like them to me, right? Uh, so anyway, so combining the sort of video, audio, everything of the presentation medium, you know, I think makes it much more engaging, more effective. And also, of course, allows you to reach people that you wouldn't be able to reach. As, as you're talking about people that are – it doesn't have to be people downtown. It could be people anywhere. Exactly. And that, and that again, was one of the reasons I wanted to do something online is I wanted to break. I'm, I'm always trying to figure out ways that w- I can encourage our church to break out of the mindset that uh, the primary thing is to get people to come and see us on Sunday in worship. The primary thing for us is to reach people with, uh, with what we understand the good news to be. Mm-hmm. And 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 to and and to bring that to people wherever we can, yep. and it, you know, it just seems like the online medium uh, gives us this opportunity to reach a global audience. Yeah, you know, all it takes is someone clicking and finding us, and so we have people that tune in to the brown the night owl study. I have people in South Carolina mm-hmm. that tune in. I have people in Georgia. I have people in Washington State mm-hmm. that tune in. It's not such so night owl for them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's not. It's not that late. And of course, we have people in Cincinnati. We have people down in Kentucky. Uh, so we've got people all over that are tuning into this. Well, and I think we talked last week some even about you know it's not just your uh, parishioners and members of your church listening. And in fact, you know, there's a sort of diverse mix of who is an atten- attendee versus who is an audience member there. So it kind of gives you a wider you know, reach, I mean, not just geographically, mm-hmm. but, you know, especially if you look at other folks here in Cincinnati, you might be able to go to other churches, so on and so forth, that, that you're able to reach uh, and, and sort of grow that way. Of course, also interesting, too, because there's a very low barrier to, you know, any kind of like viral growth with a video thing like that. I mean, chances are, no matter what you do, you're not going to have 3,000 people show up at your service on Sunday. More than right? likely not. It could happen, but it just randomly wouldn't happen. But that happens all the time with online medium. I mean, the right person shares it or likes it on, uh, you know, Facebook or, or retweets it or whatever, and then boom, you know, overnight you could have that many, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting that how easily that with Facebook is sort of supported as well, like how they scale so easily there. 
obviously we're on Facebook, we're distributing also on YouTube. Uh, we had to make some choices on that because like you listed off Periscope, a lot of people are using Periscope. Why am I not doing live on YouTube? Uh, so so I, first I chose the tool of the Facebook Live mainly because that's where most of my people were. You know, I, I have already have a followership on Facebook. So mm -hmm. that was a platform from which I could launch. So I chose not to do YouTube Live because I just didn't have a platform there yet. And again, we're a small outfit, and so everything has to be done with however, however much time I have. And this is obviously not my full-time job is doing tech management. So I just made the decision early. Let's stay tightly focused on what I can do and what I can manage. Uh, so then after the decision to do Facebook Live, I still want it to look good. Like you said, you know, I see tons of those same videos yeah. of people holding the camera up and that works great for some types of things. My buddy, Nick Jackson, you ought to have Nick on sometime. Uh, Nick Jackson, he runs speak love. He does mm. this thing called, uh, I think it's uh, one word Wednesday and he meets a person on the street. He records this all huh. on his phone and it's just a, a quick five minute person on the street interview. Uh, talking about a word, be it love or peace or justice or something like that. Really, really cool feature. And it looks great on Facebook, but that's not the look and feel I wanted. I wanted yep. the look and feel of something that looked like I'm coming to you from an office or a living yep. room. Or, and, and, and that's basically what I built. So you, know, you can find anything on YouTube, right? You can find any instruction you want. And so I just Googled and found a number of different videos of people showing you how to design a, a in-home studio on the cheap, you know, for 60, 70 bucks, went down to home Depot, got a couple of lights hmm. and, and light diffusers. I didn't realize you had lights and stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. I've got three lights, you know, and they, yeah. they showed me how to do three point lighting. Yeah. Uh, so I've got, you know, the, the, the left and the right, and I've got a light behind me. They're just those, they're just those canister kind of lights that that you can get. A lot of people use them in their workshops. Mm -hmm. And what you do to build a light diffuser, you don't have to go buy one of those expensive light boxes. You get a shower curtain yeah. and a couple of clothespins, yeah. and you just yeah. cut a square and put it over. And and it does a pretty good job of diffusing. I did, I did for Christmas get a really slick microphone. Mm -hmm. I asked that for that for Christmas. Great microphone. A Yeti microphone. It's okay. a Yeti Blue. It's a great product. I really, really like it. I got some good advice from friends of mine in the tech field on that piece of equipment, and and I really like it. I also like the aesthetics of it. When you yep. watch the video, it's this old timey look. Yeah. But but really sitting on your desk. Yeah. It, kind of but it looks really great, and it gives really good quality audio. Uh, I tried working with OBS software. Mm -hmm. uh, to for for streaming and what I found was the laptop I have and the internet connection I have. If I was streaming through OBS, uh, I would get slowdowns and I would get yeah. the the drags. So I found I had to broadcast live from within Facebook rather than through the streaming software. Now that was actually a problem because uh, the OBS software allowed me to make an independent recording that I could then upload to YouTube. Facebook doesn't let you do that. 
So if you're broadcasting from within Facebook, you can't, uh, they used, you used to be able to download those videos, but now you can't, at least Mm -hmm. not that I know of. Yeah. So now what I'm doing is I'm still running the OBS software simply to get the recording and it will record everything that transpires on my screen and through my mic. It just records the whole thing. And then when I'm done, I just, I just go into a simple video editor and trim off the beginning and end so that it's just the show itself and we're good to go. And I upload that to YouTube. Interesting. So I think we'll take a quick break, discuss a little bit, some of the technology behind Facebook a bit, and then come back. And I want to talk a little bit about sort of the audience and interaction with the audience. We've talked a lot about Facebook Live on this podcast, but how does it work? Welcome to the Geek Out. Facebook had 2.3 billion users as of Q4 2018. So that's every 60 seconds, 317,000 status updates, 147,000 photos uploaded, and 8 billion video views per day on average, 20% of which are live broadcasts. In 2018, Facebook has 15 million square feet of data center space and 15 data centers that host millions of servers. To operate all this, Facebook has created their own custom versions of operating systems, web servers, databases, and compilers. Facebook Live came out of a hackathon at Facebook in April 2015, so it was created as a fun side project, and they first released it to celebrities before releasing it to the public at large. To provide for Facebook Live, Facebook utilizes a technology called RTMP, Real-Time Messaging Protocol. Now, RTMP was created by Macromedia, or Adobe, primarily for playing flash video, but it's been found to be very useful for live video. To keep video nice and smooth, RTMP splits the video into little chunks, and both the client sending the video and the server receive it and negotiate the size of those chunks based on how fast the client connection is. Within RTMP, it's using MP3 or AAC audio formats and FLV1, which is a flash video format for video. One of the biggest challenges they faced is they can't easily predict how many viewers any particular video stream might have, since it's always possible for a video stream to go viral, gets shared by a celebrity, or gets a certain amount of likes. This is very different from HBO Go or Netflix and what they experience and other video streaming services like that, because they can store many different copies and resolutions of videos on their servers around the world, and users can just go and download the one that fits their screen automatically from the fastest server. With Facebook Live, there's no stored video in this way. Also, unlike Netflix and HBO, they can't easily predict how many viewers of a video there will be. In HBO's case, for example, they know that if there were a million viewers of the last episode of Game of Thrones, they can estimate how many viewers the next episode will have. Facebook Live can't rely on past experience like this. An example of this happened when Vin Diesel's video stream hit 1 million viewers all at the same time. Facebook refers to this as the thundering herd problem. To handle this, each live video is split into three second segments, and these segments are stored or cached not only at Facebook's data centers, but on a huge array of additional servers spread around the globe. In this way, the broadcaster creating the video can send their video to Facebook servers, but viewers can get the video from a server or edge cache that is closer to them. 
Using this approach, about 98% of these three-second segments are already stored on an edge cache server somewhere close to a viewer, and the users don't have to go to a centralized server. You probably also have noticed with live videos how the quality of the video will sometimes go down if the broadcaster's cellular connection is weak or if their Wi-Fi signal goes up and down. This basically is because each of those three-second segments, or shorter segments, can be encoded with their own level of video quality, size, and video bitrate. And both the servers and the clients communicate with each other dynamically and control the quality of these chunks, both for the broadcaster and the viewers, so they can receive an uninterrupted video watching experience. Facebook Live is an incredible leap forward of both open source technology, network infrastructure, and cellular technologies. A real case study of our global social experience being altered with cutting edge technologies. Okay, so now we're back on the interview with Russell Smith from Covenant First Presbyterian. So we were talking about republishing on YouTube. I think one thing that's interesting with the live medium is obviously the ability to engage, because you could do this all as recorded videos and just put it out there. And I think when you first started, you had to kind of figure that out. Like, how do I, how do you work into the conversation to not awkwardly say, oh, look, I got a message. So how have you kind of approached that, like when people message you to be able to work that into, you know, this medium without it interrupting your train of thought and all this as you're reading or discussing something? What What's kind of been your approach to it? Well, I mean, you nailed it right. It's It's been a tri- process of trial and error. You know, we, we make the path by walking. We just got to we gotta start and, and, and figure out as we go along. And so at first, at, at first I tried asking provocative questions or, or questions mm-hmm. of some kind. Yeah, for the and, group. Yeah, and that didn't really flow so well. And then I tried, okay, I'm going to quickly teach, and then we're going to talk about how was this teaches about prayer. And, and uh, what we've kind of finally settled into is a, is a pattern where I welcome everybody uh, and, and, and then teach for a little bit and deliberately take a pause to interact with comments. And, and, and I invite people at the very beginning, okay, as we go through this teaching, you know, go ahead and put in your questions, your comments, your observations, and we're going to interact with them in, in, in just a little bit. So that gives me the chance to get some material out there and for people to key some things in. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take that break and just, and we'll spend a good, it feels like a good 10 minutes just going back and forth with interacting with people's comments, commenting on their comments. And, and by that time more have appeared yeah. and, and that's always uh, really interesting. Um, I, it's dangerous though, because you know, I, I sit there and I'm reading the comment live uh, as I'm reading it to myself. And of course you, you can always get somebody that's going to try to key in something odd and unusual. My, one of my friends, Tim, he says he wants to do a, um, a, a Ron Burgundy thing and just type in something, oh. you know, was, is that right? The Will Ferrell movie where he yeah. was the anchor man. Yeah, That's yeah. Ron Burgundy, right? Yeah. And, you know, type in something crazy and just see if I'll read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Online. Just to get you to say it. Yeah. Right. And so, so I'm always careful when I see his, his comments. And, and so then we'll interact with those comments 
then I'll finish up the teaching, and by then there may be a few more comments to interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so we have this kind of oscillation back and forth between a little bit of teaching, a little bit of interaction, a little more teaching, a little more interaction. Yeah. Now, one of the nice innovations, the same guy, Tim, he suggested that we start the show five minutes earlier, have a pre-show. Yeah. And that has been really, really helpful. That, that was a really great suggestion hmm. because what used to happen was I'd start right at 1030 and I'd kind of awkwardly flail around until a couple of people logged on and then got into it. Now I start at 1025 and everybody knows it's the pre-show stuff. And that's yeah. the kind of stuff I cut off before I put it on YouTube. Yeah, which is cool. I and mean, that's a neat production idea. I like to, uh, you know, the the brand of the, the um, I don't know if you call it a vidcast or what the... I don't know if we know yet what the real sort of noun or whatever will become for these things. It's not a podcast, and it's not a video blog, so it's not a vlog, right? It's a right. live Facebook stream. Or that, that Someday someone will come up with a better name. But I think one of the things, you know, it having this branded Night Owl thing, it's funny, is, you know, people join the pre-show, but come on, and, and uh, people have begun hooting. Right? Have you noticed that? <laughs> I'm one of the ones who tries to drive just because it's kind of funny. Like you say, welcome, yeah. and everybody hoots hoot, hoot. welcome, right? Which is kind of funny. All and, my night uh, owls to the owls, Yuri. Yeah. And I mean, and that's just, you know, that's a marketing and branding thing, of course. Like, you, you know, the whole idea that people are night owls and whatever. And so I could see all kinds of people, you know, mugs and T-shirts and whatever swag around <laughs> that someday. You know, that's just kind of a neat thing that if it wasn't called that and it didn't have that brand and it was just the whatever – some some such hour or discussion, um, you would you would lose that, you know. And um, but but it's interesting to have to have to have that pre roll uh, going a little bit. That's that's a, a good idea, I think. Uh, it's interesting too, sort of the. I think there's a little bit of first mover advantage with this as well. Like I, I don't think there's a there's a lot of folks on YouTube you can certainly mm-hmm. find reading the Psalms. I don't know how many people are doing it live. Um, do you think, have you seen a lot of folks out there doing it in sort of the spiritual realm, if you will, or, or churches and stuff doing this? Do you think it's, uh, you're sort of an early adopter of it or what's, what's, where do you think you fit in that? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I can't speak globally. I mean, I think within my networks, this is something highly unusual within the circles that I run. Um, I mean, obviously, like I said earlier, there's a lot of broadcasting of, platform stuff to an audience, you know, just broadcast material. There's obviously a lot of the handheld video mm-hmm. short kind of hot take yeah. things. Um, I mean, I do see, you know, I, I do see some videos of guys sitting at desks teaching, but not as an interactive kind of thing. It's just yeah. a guy sitting teaching and speaking uh, directly addressing the camera. So, so I don't, you know, I don't know that I see too many uh, people trying to host that as a live thing. Yeah. Um, well, and, it's, and I was going to say something, too, about the comments. It's interesting. Uh, just to go back to that point briefly. I, I was on a webinar yesterday, mm-hmm. and you sort of have a similar setup, you know, where you can submit a question to the webinar. No one, now, in that environment, if you're on GoToMeeting or whatever, nobody else can see your questions sometimes, depending. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, oh, we have a question about such and such, and you have to reread the question and you know, that aspect of the participant's voice, if you think about it compared to if you were in a live seminar somewhere, is missing, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And I know Facebook is doing some uh, things around that, like you being able to call in other 
people into the the live broadcast. Um, I haven't played with that much, but I've seen it occasionally. You'll see sort of like, you know, there's a a picture-in-picture type thing that happens Mm -hmm. when you call someone in. Uh, There's risks to that, I guess, and we've talked about that. Is the, you know, does the quality of the content go down? But if you think about it related to your uh, real radio show where people call in, they have the same problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. but that format and that medium or that approach anyway has worked for them. Do you think that is something that you would do? And if not, why not? That's a good question. I, I don't know if I would do that in the Night Owl study. Maybe I would. But you know, just with what the Night Owl study is framed as, yeah, as as a as a Bible study, unless I'm bringing in a guest teacher, maybe mm-hmm. I could bring in a guest teacher or you know someone who's an expert. You know that could be kind of cool, though. One of the places where I could see something like that, uh, one of the things we're doing this summer, you know, just springboarding off of what we've done with the Night Owl study. So this summer, I'm going to be hosting a pastors' book club here in Cincinnati. I mm-hmm. gave three books that people are going to read. And I'm going to be hosting the book club at a local bookstore, just trying to get out there in the community. And do you know what, what books are those? Well, the first book is called Inexpressible by Michael Card, and it's all about the biblical concept of God's loving kindness. Then there's a book called Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble, uh, just all about living the Christian life in the 21st century. And then uh, Karen Swallow Pryor's um, on reading well is the third book, and that is how how we can cultivate the skill of reading well, wisely, so that we can actually grow in virtue through reading classic literature. And you know, three really, really great books. But here's the, based off of what we've done with the Night Owl study, I've decided, okay, we're also going to do these as Night Owl book studies. Mm-hmm. And so once a month, I'm going to, on the same Night Owl channel, we're going to keep that as a brand. Yeah. And I'm just going to do it on the same channel. And we'll have a once a month book study. And I'll, I'm will i still trying to figure out how to do this. I've got some probing questions that, mm. that I'll kind of toss out there and see if, if, if anybody bites. And of course, I'm going to have to have some monologue material prepared yeah. just in case nobody comments. <laughs> uh, but what I could envision for something like that is being able to dial in the author and, yeah. and let's have a, let's have a conversation with yeah. one of them. Now, I don't know if my tech supports that, yeah. you know, that, and that's the other bottleneck for us is, uh, you know, my own technical savvy. How much time do I have to really sort this out and get it working before we go live. Yeah. And that's that's always the bottleneck for us. And Well, and testing is such a pain. Yes, it, it seems is. like. Because, you know, how do you, I mean, once you start it, you can't just test something on Facebook live. Like, you're alive to everyone. You can delete it after and hope nobody watched it. Well, actually, you can. Okay. Yeah, there, there, there's a way in, in Facebook Live, there's a way to say, this can only seem by only me because you oh, know yeah, in yeah. Facebook you can change your audiences oh, yeah, okay. and so you that. can make this an audience of only me uh, and that's how you test it okay well that makes sense I hadn't thought of that I'm well, glad you asked yeah no <laughs> I'll, I'll use that for sure because it's interesting because there's a lot of uh, you know this is I think these live technologies live video technologies are right on the bleeding edge really I mean if you look at some of the largest social networks in the world don't yet support this and they are going to very soon LinkedIn's a the best example. Hmm. I mean, they are, I got my first notification maybe two weeks ago of 
you know, your first, your connection on LinkedIn is live on, and it's like, what, what's that? Never seen it before. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause you have to request access to it. And then very slowly they are granting, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to fill out a form and everything, right? Of course they're looking and trying, probably trying to give people with, you know, the largest networks first access or whatever, or maybe really active posters or something. So, you know, and there's a bunch of other social platforms out there that people use quite heavily. They don't support it yet. So I think as we just move towards everything, more and more internet video uh, as a more common sort of ways of, of communicating and consuming technology will, uh, or consuming content, we'll see this more and more. And one of the platforms I think is pretty interesting too is uh, there's been this big uh, springing up out there of live video redistribution platforms. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is being driven by people on Twitch and these sort of people that play video games live, mm-hmm. which I think folks of our generation struggle a little bit to understand, <laughs> you know, why you would want to watch someone play Xbox. Um, some of them are pretty cool to watch, and, and I've, I've tried it out because you can pull up Twitch on your, on your uh, you know, your smart TV and all that and watch any game you want. And there's, you know, several million um, broadcasters pl- broadcasting their games. I mean, they make money on this. People are monetizing well, this. Well, sure, but, I mean, games are so different from when we... Oh, sure. well, yeah. These when, are practically movies. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, games have storylines. They have challenges. Sure. They, you know, they are an immersive storytelling experience. Yeah. Well, and so what people have built with these platforms, like one I just signed up for recently is called Restream, Restream.io, mm-hmm. which is not a sponsor. But uh, <laughs> they, so they built this platform so that you could hook your Xbox up to their tool, and then they have 30 or 40 maybe even 50 different, you know, live video platforms, the vast majority of them are video game related. Mm -hmm. And these things have just proliferated, right? They're everywhere. And so these people can broadcast to 40 channels at once. And of course, you know, there's every little social network has its own little, um, you know, ecosystem and all just population that's on them. You know, I don't, I don't like Twitch. Instead, I use Mixer and Microsoft mm-hmm. just, uh, I think Microsoft bought Mixer just recently. That's another big one. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all new. And uh, so now they're trying to promote these platforms out for more, you know, business and, and other sorts of content users, right? Mm-hmm. And there's only maybe, I think, let's say six or seven platforms that aren't pure video games that even support it right now. But as I said, there's another 40 that are video game. So you think about that. If you think about sort of the corollary to that to the old world, mm-hmm. I mean, if you wanted, obviously, if you wanted to have a show like this in, say, 1985, you would be doing this on, you'd have to do it on public access cable. Right. That, I mean, unless you maybe could get a broadcast TV station to give you late night hour on, on mm-hmm. Channel 12 or something or whatever, right? Right. No one would ever be able to afford buying, uh, you know, I mean, really hardly even any business would be able to afford buying the 7 p.m. slot to do a show. You can never do it. Um, But then also think about when you're talking about these redistribution platforms, it's not only that you have a show on Channel 12, you have a show on all the channels, you know, you're on every station, you know, yeah. which is as a rerun. And you see, that's, you know, that's or live. Well, these but, ones are live. Well, but that's part of the challenge, though, is uh, can they interact with people sure. on all those channels? You can. Well, and that's and that's what with this platform. And that's what's kind of neat is this particular one, Restream. They have uh, software that gathers all the comments from all 40 at once and puts them all in one chat thread. So you can see them all. And then it shows a little icon from what platform it's coming from. Right. Mm-hmm. So. 
depending on, I mean, you know, you might be inundated with comments, but you can respond to them and it will go out to everyone. So it kind mm -hmm. of, it mass merges all these these comments, hmm. right? Well, that's so, interesting. Yeah, that's... so I mean, theoretically, there's a way, but I guess, you know, if you just kind of look at where that's going, I mean, I would say right now today, how many people are, you know, let's say businesses and or other content producers who aren't video games are broadcasting live to all social networks? Not many. I, I, I don't know, probably yeah. very few, even... Well, yeah, and the then big the question boys is, aren't doing that yet. You know, so. a, a new social network seems to open every week. Yeah. And, and that becomes an interesting – well, the, you know, as I look at this, there's, there's, there's a couple of interesting social forces at work. First is the backlash. I mean, you take a look at the backlash that's already happening against Facebook and against other big tech – firms simply over privacy issues oh, sure. and then the people that are going bananas over privacy issues and and the people that are unplugging from yeah. from that then there's also the the movement uh the simplicity movement mm -hmm. i don't know if you've read much cal newport cal newport no. uh he he his big work was a book called deep work a couple of years ago oh, yeah, but but that. he just came out with one called digital minimalism and hmm. there's a digital minimalist movement which is not a luddite movement they're not movements saying do away with all technology bah! but but rather it's a movement to say to 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 carefully choose the technologies for how they serve you rather than you serving it sure and and so there's this and so as as we have that movement and at the same time this fragmentation of the social media markets, um, it's going to be – it's a fascinating time. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I, I, I think, you know, it's fragmentation but it's specialization too, yeah. right? And, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, these new social networks popping up, which which they do. I mean, there's there's one – they're like dandelions. Yeah, there, there was one recently I joined because one thing I'm sort of trying to do myself is like you know watch for these new networks that pop up and and if I can and if it makes if it's not crazy get on it as soon as I can because what I've seen is like for instance um, with Periscope or before Periscope there was uh, the, the real you know initial market leader was called Meerkat mm -hmm. okay. You know, they launched at South by Southwest, and they were live streaming. Mean, it was amazing, amazing, and, and still the technology is amazing. And and I, I was telling my wife about this recently. Uh, you know, Meerkat was probably like thirty days old, and there's this band called Walk Off the Earth that I like, mm -hmm. and they were live streaming. You know, on the Meerkat app from their kitchen, the husband and wife that are in that, and. At that time, it was a small network, so I went and I started chatting with them, and they're like, "Oh, hey, Sam, blah blah blah." I said, I, "I love your guys' songs." I mean, these people were touring all over the place, had becoming yeah. a big band, and I'm talking with them in their kitchen, and I mean, they saw my name, they said, "Oh, we appreciate that." Yeah, oh, we've been to Cincinnati before. They're interacting. Now, shortly thereafter, that if they when, when folks like that began a video, they would get thousands of comments a minute. They couldn't even read them all, mm -hmm. right? And so that's a problem. But what was also interesting about uh, those platforms, you know, Meerkat, and then very short, shortly after uh, Twitter launched Periscope, uh, there were a few folks you'd see on those platforms. Like there was this one person, he was like a 12-year-old boy, okay? And he got on Periscope very early, and he would do these live broadcasts, like his dad, you know, filming him on the phone, and it was very motivational, like, be your best, and this is, you got to push your limits, and, and, and I don't recall his name. But he had millions of followers, right? Mm -hmm. From zero to million. He, he had no presence elsewhere on the internet whatsoever. Maybe he had written a book or something. Uh, but because he was like one of the first 20 people on this platform that now has 
millions of people. He, you know, that that can be so key. And so that's something I've been looking at, of course, you know, for every one of these social networks that launch, it's like, hey, don't, you don't want to be the last one on it, right? Mm-hmm. Because sort of like advertising on, um, you know, on Facebook or something now, or, or, you know, a lot of people are doing that. I mean, it's, it's sort of inundated. Or, you know, if you're, if you're joining Twitter now, it takes a long time to build a following versus early celebrities that joined it or something, right? Sure. Um, the, the, that raises interesting philosophical questions. I mean, we could, we could take a deep dive into this, and that raises some really interesting philosophical questions about, you know, where's our time best spent? You know, as an entrepreneur, is, you know, as, as a pet for me, as a pastor, um, you know, there's certainly got to be some time we can consider that R and D, right? This research and development is marketing R and D, if nothing else. Sure. I mean, it is. No, it's not marketing R and D. It's R and D. You, we were talking before the show. Everyone's a media company now. We're all media companies. Certainly, I, there, are, there are folks yeah. advising you to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, this is just the world. We are in a media world. Yeah. We're all media companies. So, so it it, it is R and D. But how much of our time is best spent in R and D, and how much of our time is best spent work in the business. And, you know, I mean, that, that becomes a really interesting thing because it is really interesting and we can, uh, and we could spend massive amounts of time researching all of these new, these new offerings. Yeah. Uh, but what, you know, and, 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 and I guess everyone's got to figure out that, that alchemy of, 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 energy time and attention management themselves. Well, and you know, I think what's interesting is, you know, if you look at, you know, my business, custom software development, and, and the pool of competitors we have and people in that space, if you imagine like a big, you know, pool of water or something, right, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while, the pool will sort of be tipped and everybody flows towards one area and just everyone is running Google ads, right? And, yeah. you know, if you're a software company running Google ads, you're paying anywhere from 60 to $200 a click anymore because everyone's just, for the last decade, has been pouring money into that, right? But, you know, as they move into these spaces, they leave other spaces, right? Mm-hmm. So there are certain folks out there who will say, just uh, write a letter, sign your name to it, and mail it to somebody because no one does that anymore. And yeah. So, and, and it is amazing how that gets attention. It does. And I've gotten letters from, say, like, imagine like a you know, marketing coach or whatever. Get something in the mail with a handwritten letter to it, and you're like, whoa. This guy wrote me a letter, mm-hmm. and I'll and I would read that way more often and more likely than I would read some email that he blasted me, right? Well, and and that's you know in in my field, you know, our church is a very traditional church. Yeah, you know, we have a liturgy, we play old music, we have the pipe organ, uh, you know, we follow a prescribed pattern. Uh, as more and more churches have moved towards a much more contemporary style, a much more informal style centered around a worship band uh that's left fewer players yeah. in the traditional field and we get people coming to us hungering for that now it's a small niche i describe us as a boutique shop hmm. as it were uh, and 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 what we have what i'm trying to learn how to do is to be very intentional about it and and not take it for granted but you know, be doing some teaching why do we do what we do and and but yeah, you know, when when everyone goes rushing in one direction, that does leave a vacuum for other people to step in and and in, into the space that's been vacated. Uh, yeah, and I think 
I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, uh, what you get with a lot of these networks and sort of technology, you can implement those, a lot of self-selection, and I mentioned specialization earlier, you know, and so you can imagine if there was a social network very specifically built for people who wanted to learn the Bible better, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that exists. Oh, there, yeah, there, but, there, there are those social networks that they try to build, and, yeah. and these people will come to me as a pastor and say, well, you know, yeah. try to recruit all your people yeah. for this. And, um, well, and of course, Facebook competes with those, right? Exactly. You know, know, Facebook is very broad, but so that's always a question is like, well, because a lot of those social networks that that fire up fail, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and part of it is keeping up with features like digital video and live streaming that they just can't implement fast enough. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the new ones are sort of lower quality, right? Are we likely to see that? Because if you had that, if you, you know, if there was a network you could join of 20 million like diehard Bible studiers and you could broadcast to all of them, that's very valuable, you know. And um, now there's there's obviously a value to, I think Facebook has something like, uh, my number's probably a little out of date, but, you know, well over, say, 1.8 billion users a day, something mm-hmm. like that. Probably more like two or three billion even now. I'll have to update that number. Accessing that network is great too, but of course, a very small percentage of those are folks that would, you know, even be after any particular type of content, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll be a little interesting to see, you know, particularly if you look at like the live video streaming, right? Uh, like a lot of our customers, you know, it's it's not something that's even remotely in their marketing plans. Mm-hmm. You, you know, imagine if you are an engineering company or manufacturing company; those folks are not out doing any kind of video content, much less mm-hmm. doing live video content now. I would argue that they should look at it because, you know, again, if every company is supposed to be a media company and you want to have this personalized brand, and imagine, like, we had our air conditioning replaced at mm-hmm. home today, and uh, we used a company called Just Right HVAC, and I know the owners of that, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I know the owners, and they seem like they're nice guys. They've worked for us before. I'm going to call them back. And so how do you get with a company like that? How do you get broad market quote unquote, knowing the owners, right? Because if you do that, you know, then it makes a lot of the other uh, competition in that field seem like just a big nameless company. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at locally here, like Apollo HVAC, they've, you know, their advertisements don't just have the name of the company, they have the owner's face, uh, Jamie Gerdson, up on the right. billboards, right? Right. And so I think that's the opportunity potentially for, you know, more broad market stuff. And it won't always work. I mean, if you had the, the CEO of Kroger doing a live video stuff, would that make me make you more likely to choose Kroger? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that'd be hard. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, do not underestimate the power of those, those connections, you know, that, I mean, yeah. this is what FDR did with his fireside yeah, chats, absolutely. right? absolutely. That's exactly and, right. And yeah. a few years ago, I read Amanda Palmer's book. I can't remember the title of it right now. But it was all, you know, and she's a performance artist, musician. She's the wife of Neil Gaiman, the the, the hmm. science fiction fantasy yeah. writer. I just finished watching uh, uh, Good, Omens. Good Omens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so Amanda Palmer has really built a whole career on that tight kind of connection with her fans, and you know she talks about build how she built her social media platform. Uh, based off of interaction with her fans, interaction with people, and, and it became a very personal thing and it, for a way for her to personally connect. And she has this huge, rabid fan base. And, uh, and so you know, any of those kind of things that give the feeling of that personal connection 
I think are, are very, very powerful. Yeah. No, I, you know, I think personal marketing, I mean, that's a whole particular movement of, of marketing out there right now, you know, and, mm-hmm. and trying, you know, people talk a lot about personal brand and all this sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and certainly that has worked for a lot of religious organizations. If you look at some of the massive, huge ones, I mean, the pastor is a huge part of that identity. Oh, sure. Right? And yeah, and that was that was a humbling and terrifying insight for me that I, that I fought against for a long time is that I'm part of the brand. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm part of the brand for Covenant First Presbyterian well, Church. have been there almost 20 years. I know. <laughs> These poor people. Uh, and, 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 and part of me pushes against that because mm-hmm. as a pastor, I want to say I'm not the brand. I want people to be looking at Christ. You know, we're yeah. a Christian church. It's not about me. And a big part of, of my religious faith is about humility and, you know, I must decrease, Christ must increase. That's mm-hmm. that's what John the Baptist said, and that's that's a big part of faith. And yet, even that being true, you know, as as we've just been talking, a big part of communicating in this era is the pastor is a, the brand. Yeah. Uh, embodies the brand for a church, and the CEO embodies the brand for the organization. Um, yeah. Well, and there are big companies that we, well, I mean, certainly we see that nowhere better than, you know, in the United States government, right? I mean, we see, for instance, the executive branch, really doesn't matter who's president or not, they are the executive branch in, in so many people's minds, and, and they are the party, whatever party they're they're with, right? Right. Uh, yeah, there's, there's like a lot of employees in the executive branch. There's a lot of people, but... 99% of the sort of focus is just on one person, you know, and, and I think there are some big businesses, uh, I can't, I'm trying to think of an example, but, you know, some large companies that have, that have done that well. I mean, maybe Ross Perot is an example, you know, mm-hmm. from, from his various companies he's had, certainly Warren Buffett, though sure. they're not the, the hugest company per se, but I mean, all the companies mm-hmm. he owns. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in fairness, if Warren well, Buffett, Bill had Gates, a, Steve Jobs—I mean, we could go down sure. the list of the celebrity. Yeah. The the tricky thing there is, we can also go down the list of the celebrity CEOs and celebrity pastors who've crashed and burned. Sure, because sometimes that pressure of being the brand can really crush somebody. No, it definitely can, and and uh, and of course. Obviously, you're left with sort of uh, succession issues and stuff when that person moves oh, on, yeah. right? You well, know. that's true. So, yeah, so I, that's very interesting stuff. Um, so I think we've reached the end of our time here, so we're going to wrap up our, our episode here. Um, so thank you so much for, for coming on the show, Russell. And, and again, everybody check out the Night Owl study on Facebook. We'll have a link in the description uh, of the podcast here, which is at 1030. It's at 1030 on Wednesday nights on the Night Owl Study Facebook page. Uh, and you can see archives on the Covenant First Presbyterian YouTube page. If, if you're at, uh, not on Facebook and you want to go to YouTube, we're out there. And is there information about the books for the uh, summer study program out there as well? Yes, I should, I should probably put that on my blog and then get okay. it out there for you. If anyone's interested, my blog, russellbsmith.com. Okay. Follow me on Twitter at Possible Horizon. Great. <laughs> so I, I couldn't, I was too late to get Russell at Russell B. Smith for Twitter. <laughs> and you have your, do you have your books on your blog as well? Yes, there? my books are available on my blog as well. That's a whole different yeah, other, didn't even, you didn't know. Yeah, even mention our uh, 
multiple books. Yeah, well, we can another time we can talk about using technology for self-publishing. That's, oh, a, that's a whole that's, 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 that's a whole different thing. But Sam, thanks so much for having having me on the show. I'm real excited for this show. Uh, Going to do great things. Great, so. awesome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Talk. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure to support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And learn more about this show by heading over to unstoppablesoftware.com. Until next time, keep innovating.